Evan, let's go. Come on. Oh, wait. I was really into the music today. uh... Hello, everybody. Welcome into Upon Further Review. We've lost track of the episode list because it's such a runaway hit. I am Evan Grant from the Dallas Morning News, joined by in-studio insider Barry Horn. Let's go to the outsider. Kevin Sherrington. Kevin, where are you at this moment? I am in my hotel room in New York City. New York City? That is correct. So you, you still haven't made it back from the from the Cowboy game, have you? I have not. You know, I was so devastated by that loss. I had to stay here to recuperate for a couple of days. All right, well, let's get into that loss. Uh, and, and let's get into one thing that, of course, the media, us being the media, we, we outside the building at Valley Ranch make much more of this than than inside the room there at Valley Ranch. But the room, the world is talking about Greg Hardy and his shoving match with Rich Bisacci and his passion and his encouragement. And Kevin, you we were all watching on TV, but you were on hand. So what did you see and what was your takeaway? Well, it was a little hard to see, as you know, in these press boxes. I think it's interesting that they put the TV monitors about, oh, 10 feet over your head. Uh, so you're trying to watch the game and trying to see something on the, the monitor. It's a little difficult at times. But, but we were able to just kind of, once it became clear that something was going on on the sideline, then we all had our binoculars out and we're looking down there and see as uh, Greg Hardy goes from one group to the next with multiple guys trying to calm him down, which didn't seem to bother anybody with the Cowboys, at least publicly. Of course, as we all know, who's going to, after the game, say, you know, Greg Hardy's a jerk. And and he he can't do this kind of stuff. No one's going to say that. Kevin so Kevin he, they he signed him, they signed him in March. They knew what they were getting. They knew that Mother Teresa was not coming in to play uh, be the the wreck, wreak havoc from the defensive end position. Mother Teresa never wreaked, ha- wreaked havoc. Well, no, she uh, did not. Well, but 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 they knew what they were getting. They they knew this was happened, and I, I don't even think they knew this was a possibility. I think they knew this was happened. Why is anybody surprised? I don't know that it's a surprise, but, you know, I have to say, uh, what we knew about him coming here was obviously the trial for the domestic abuse charges. And uh, so we, we knew about all of that, and we knew, we, we heard from players who said, well, he was different, you know, he, and, and the way he did things was really odd. But I don't recall that he was constantly a source of, 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 of you know, controversy on things that happened during games. I, I think he's been worse than what they, they might have expected him to be. I, I, I really do think that uh, that this guy has now got a platform that he didn't have previously, and he is going to use it, that that he is all about himself. And, he, and, he, and I think there's a there's a team element to him. I mean, he wants to – he, you, you watch him out there. He's very encouraging to his teammates when he's not screaming at them. Uh, and so the, there are things about him that are obvious benefits for the Cowboys, but besides the fact he's a very good football player. But when you – when you factor in the other things, it, it's just a mess. Uh, you, you can't you can't tell me that this is about passion. That's not passion, or that oh, I wish that when Jerry Jones says I welcome this, I wish that more guys would do it. Well, that's exactly what you need is during a timeout where coaches are trying to coach up players at a very key point of the game to have some guy screaming to get into the huddle and and slapping at your clipboard and distracting everybody on the field. And and let's make that point clear. I mean, here above everything else, we don't know what he said. And he could have been offering encouragement and all that stuff for all we know. 
But the bottom line is, here's a guy who's not playing special teams, who is in the middle of a special teams huddle and becoming a distraction. All right, there is there is no way that you can take a leadership role on in that situation in the heat of the game by getting involved in a in a scheme that you know nothing about and in a situation that you know nothing about to offer encouragement. The Cowboys had a situation, a game situation on their hands, and they were trying to rectify something Look, on the fly. It's not about team, it's about Hardy. Oh, we we know it's that. It's not about it's not about Pat, it's about Hardy. The Hardy there are Hardy but I'm there, so there tired. are Hardy rules. There I'm, are new Hardy rules with the Cowboys. I am so tired of this this passion statement that we keep getting over and over again. This is not passion. This is uncontrollable Absolutely. rage on the sidelines. They found a word. They like this word. It's 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 a cliche. It's it has positive connotations. Passion. Passion. It has great connotations, and that's the that's the buzzword on this. It is not passion. Well, you know, they, they use this for Des Bryant. And as I noted in, in a little quick pick I wrote after the game, uh, you know, if you think that Des Bryant was a problem, he is child's play next to Greg Hardy. Uh, you know, when Des would go off on the sideline, you would see that. But you didn't see him uh, running up to, to coaches in another huddle. You know, you, you might he would occasionally say something to a coach, but not to a coach who was trying to coach up other players. And to me, that that's the that's one of the, the real issues here. You can say all you want to that well, he's got he's got passion or whatever, but you're you've got a limited amount of time to get your team ready for the next play, and you have to spend that time turning around and telling a guy to get out of the huddle to so move talk to these people to move along, as Bisacci said, just trying yeah. to get him to move along. I mean, that is. To me, look, if you don't want to discipline him, that's fine. You know, it, it's it's not necessarily, in my mind, a disciplinable action. It's not, on the great scale of things, it's just stupidity much more than it is something that requires discipline. But the bottom line is that this is a guy who was where he didn't belong. And don't don't misidentify that to the public as leadership. All right, and let's discuss something else that's, that's going on here with us. If we're, if we're, the, the problem, as you said, yeah, this is not a huge thing. He didn't, uh, he didn't attack anybody in particular, although he did try to slap a clipboard, apparently, out of Versace's hand. Uh, the guy's been active for three weeks, correct? Correct. Two games, three weeks. So we've already had to have uh, – how, uh, how, many, how many times has he become up now that the Cowboys have had to talk about Greg Hardy and what he has done? Not only did we have this incident, we had the incident before the Patriots game where he, what he said about uh, Tom Brady's wife. And, and now, besides those two things, now we have a report that last week when he missed that game for illness, we have a report missed from pra- was, Kevin, he missed practice. He didn't miss a game. He missed, he missed, he missed practice, he missed practice on Thursday. Let's, let, let me just interject this. He missed practice on Thursday, and according to the NFL's Ian Rapp, NFL.com's Ian Rappaport, he was – kind of MIA for most of the morning. The Cowboys listed him as being absent from the practice with an illness. Everybody, I guess, took that at face value because there was no reason to think otherwise. But according to to the report from Ian Rappaport, the Cowboys spent most of the morning trying to find him. Now, he may have been ill, but apparently he didn't follow the team protocols. It's a simple protocol. You get up in the morning, you're ill. You call the Cowboys, say, I'm not coming today. Right. He didn't have to do Get me that. a doctor. I don't feel well. Yeah. But, you know, but here's – I, I, I want to get back to this. The Cowboys knew this was coming. They're, they are willing – We're past that. No, no. They are, they are willing 
for him to go out there and have, get two sacks, one sack, sack again, he's he's the pass rush. They will sell. They have sold their soul for the pass rush. They admit it. Let's move on. Kevin, has he made a difference? Uh, well, he's made a difference certainly on the defensive line. There's no question about that. Although I was surprised that, that uh, Randy Gregory was not more of a presence. And you would think if he's if you're, if you're double teaming, you know, Greg Hardy, then that means that Randy Gregory should be free uh, to come around that end. And that was not really happening. He did he did not make that kind of presence. But that may be more of a statement about Randy Gregory than it is about Greg Hardy. And and, and you know because he's still coming off that high ankle sprain. But I, I think. You know, to me what this does is, you know, we've had questions in the past. You know, we know Jerry Jones. This is what he does. You know, that there's, this is who he is. This is who he's always been. This is who he will always be. But we had kind of thought we'd turned a corner with Jason Garrett as the head coach. I thought last year he really established himself, and, and some of the questions that people had about him, uh, it was he had really seemed to be moving ahead and growing as a head coach. I think this makes him look all that much worse. Uh, especially when he is standing down there on the sideline right next to this as it is happening and not saying a word, not doing anything to try to say, hey, get over here and sit down and leave these guys alone. He is making all these players do that instead. And and to me, if you're the walk-around coach, you're not in charge of the offense, you're not doing anything, you need to interject yourself in that situation. Well, I, I mean, I've got a little bit of a different take on that. I don't have an issue with what Jason did during or after the game, because after the game, look, it's it's 10 minutes after the game. You haven't had time to talk to all the parties involved. During the game, even if you're the head coach, you really don't have time to be babysitting players who are throwing temper tantrums. I thought where the biggest issue is long-term is that Jason was basically undercut by Stephen Jones yesterday. Jason comes out and says, hey, this wasn't the right time and it wasn't the right place, which probably is what needed to be said. No discipline involved, but this wasn't the right time, wasn't the right place. We've talked to him about it. At the same time, you've got Stephen Jones going on the radio saying, once again, I got no issue with it, and we're looking to sign him long term. And that's the sensible Jones we're, we're talking about. But let me ask you a question. Why? They, I, I'm going I'm to beat a dead horse here. They don't care. They don't care what you think. They don't care what the media noise thinks. All they want to do is win, and he gives them a good opportunity to win. Well, he does, and there's, there's no question about that. But that's, as I said, we knew that about the Joneses. Uh, you know, I, and I'm going to disagree with you, about, uh, Evan, about Jason. If he had said after the game, first of all, he was standing next to Rich Passacci as this was going on between him and Greg Hardy. So he saw the entire thing happen. He didn't have to talk to Rich after the game and, and have Rich tell him, you know what, this wasn't good for me, okay? He has to know that right away. <laughs> and, and he has to say, and, and plus, at the, at, at the press conference afterward, if he had just said what he said Monday, right. he had just said, you know what, this just wasn't a good thing. We needed to move on. That, that would have been fine. At least we would have gotten some idea that someone affiliated with the Cowboys had at least a little bit of a problem with the fact that we got a player going off on everybody on the sidelines in a critical juncture of the game. And this is not a good thing. All right, Kevin. What? Let's move past this drama for one minute and go on to what comes from this game. I mean, is there anything from this loss that has any long-term impact. Obviously, I think we've got to discuss Matt Castle and what you thought he either brought or didn't bring to the offense. Well, I think, you know, first of all, uh, 
you're watching that game, and before Dwayne Harris uh, takes off for 100 yards and scores a winning touchdown, a little bit of irony there, as uh, Jerry Jones pointed out to us, um, is that I thought Matt Castle, on the whole, showed you something, a real spark and a real promise. Now, obviously, three interceptions, you can't have that. Uh, One of the interceptions, you could at least blame Terrence Williams for not coming back completely on the route and kind of cutting that off a little bit. Uh, I think you could have blamed Terrence Williams on two of the interceptions, quite frankly. Well, I, I think the the one on the on the ball uh, where he was open in the end zone. Now he didn't he didn't really come back to get that ball. He didn't really help out his quarterback. I know he he started to come back and then he did come all the way. But but on that ball, that's a ball that that came off came, uh, poorly out of Matt Castle's hand. Okay, you, know, you could you could tell the ball comes out of his hand. It's floating. He's got. Williams wide open in the end zone. You, you want to at least throw it to the back of the end zone on that play. But clearly, it just fluttered on him, and that, and that's not something that you see happen all the time with him. So I, I didn't really have a huge problem with that interception either going forward. I mean, obviously, it killed them at that point of the game. But going forward, you don't say, oh, my gosh, look at this guy. He's going to throw two or three interceptions a game. That's not the case. Uh, the, as, although, you know, Tom Coughlin pointed out, we probably should have had five interceptions. Yeah, there were a couple of balls that that uh, that flew off a few people, but let's let's give Matt Castle the benefit of the, of the doubt here. He's he's starting after having been with the team for three weeks uh, on the road uh, in a in a pretty tough environment, and and I thought all all things considered, he did pretty well. That throw to the back of the end on the Devon Street was a, was an unbelievable play. Uh, you know, both on the catch and the throw. So I thought he really showed uh, some things going forward for the Cowboys that are very promising. Certainly. To me, a, a huge improvement over Brandon Wheaton. And, and you thought that Devin Street and Bryce Butler also showed you something offensively, right? Well, I did. I did. You know, well, Bryce Butler had showed you something before, right? Right he before had, the uh, ham. Yeah, before the hamstring injury. I mean, he was. If, they, if, if he hadn't pulled a hamstring on, the, on that sixty-seven yard catch, he was going to go on for a touchdown, and they win that game. So uh, he he is he gives them a real a player, which is also crazy to me that you know they they don't have anybody. Uh, on the roster, and they go into the season with what is a pretty thin roster. And then when Des Bryant gets hurt, then they decide, well, now we need to go get somebody. Well, not, like, only that, not only that, uh, the injury kind of exposed Terrence Williams. Yeah, it really has. It, I, it, I think he's been a huge disappointment this year. Well, I don't. I think that, I think a lot of people have had these feelings about Terrence Williams even before that. I mean, he, he's the kind of he's he's kind of. Uh, I was talking to Babe Lofferberg about this before the game the other day, and he said he reminds me of Alvin Harper. In that, and I said, well, I think Alvin Harper was better than uh, Terrence Williams, and he said, yeah, probably so. But he was a, a kind of guy who could step in, and when he signed a big contract with Tampa Bay, we saw that he was not that player, and, and, and neither is Terrence Williams. You know, there there are certain things you can do with him, but as we saw in that little stop route when he came back, he's not finishing off the route. Right. You know, you can do you can do certain things. You can do a go route with him and just let him run, and as he you know he was wide open going down the field on on that touchdown where the ball fluttered on, on Castle. But he's just not that kind of uh, wide receiver. So I do think that you know, who knows what you're going to get out of Devin Street from here on out. That was a that was a great catch. And and by the way, we should point out the fact that Terrence Williams also had a very nice catch on the sidelines. He got his he got his feet in, did a very nice play on that. Um, so they had Bryce Butler's kind of stepped up a little bit now, uh, and we see something out of Devin Street we hadn't seen, and we hadn't even talked about Darren McFadden. How about how about the fact that they finally had a running game? Yeah, they they did actually run the ball and they ran the ball very effectively and against a subpar de- against a subpar run defense. I just let's let's be honest. Here. No, I mean you've got to call it like you see it. I I, I also think that 
McFadden, whether it's a subpar defense or not, the statement has been made that McFadden now is the number one option in the running game. Well, and here's what I don't understand. When you watched him in the preseason, and he got he got very few carries in the preseason, he's gotten very few carries during the regular season. Uh, and yet, every time that we saw him I, I run, first of all, he looked to be at least as fast as, as, as Joe is, Joe Randall, and, and then uh, certainly a more powerful runner, certainly a harder runner than Joe Randall is. And, that, and so if you're trying to replace DeMarco Murray, why wouldn't you get the one guy you have on your roster who looks the most like DeMarco Murray? This is a guy who has similar size, uh, similar running style, got a little bit of a burst, and and uh, certainly very powerful and, and and there were several times in that game where they had a had a third and two where he got three yards up the middle a very tough three yards. Are, are you are you, t- are you seeing another hundred yard effort from him against the Seattle defense? Uh, no, but you know the Seattle defense isn't quite what it was. Uh, you know, Cowboys ran the ball pretty well against them last year, and then obviously some of that was Demarco Murray. Uh, but uh, most of that was the offensive line. I did think this was the best the offensive line has looked. Now, how much difference that has Lyle Collins made uh, starting at left guard over Ron Leary? You know, I don't know. Uh, you know, it, it looked like they were running behind him a little bit uh, during the game, and of course, maybe you would because the left side's uh, you know pretty good. So, I, I do think that they have the potential to be better offensively. I think that's the crazy thing about that game. Sunday is that the Cowboys were in a position, you know, if you if you if you look at okay, they got a pick six, so they gave them seven points. Uh, they got seven, you know, the Giants got seven points off a hundred yard kickoff return. That doesn't happen every day. Uh, so that's fourteen points that were more or less just given to the Giants right. uh, in, in that situation. So uh, I do think that the, the Cowboys uh, are good enough. Uh, I think they're good enough to beat the Seahawks this week. I'm not picking them to beat the Seahawks, but I think they're good enough to do it. All right, so let's get to that. All right, the Cowboys are two and four, have lost the last four games, are in last place in what is probably the second worst division in the NFL. The AFC South might be worse, but you've got Seattle at home this week, and then you've got Philadelphia at Tampa Bay and at Miami before really I think you get a real legitimate shot at getting Romo back. From my perspective, that's three. In all likelihood, three losses in four games. You're looking at seven losses with Tony Romo coming back. Uh, does this team is this team going to have to run the table to make the playoffs? I, I think pretty close to that. Yeah, I, I, as I recall, so that that means that Tony has Tony will come back for four games or five games. Uh, if he comes back, if he comes back, let's say he comes back for the Thanksgiving game against Carolina, that gives him six games. Carolina at Washington at Green Bay. Home against the Jets at Buffalo, and then home against Washington. You, he did that off the top of his head. I just no, I did not. You. I've got the schedule in front of me. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> well, I, I do think that. Yeah, I, I don't know that he's got to run the table. I, I think he's going to have to 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 go. If it's six games, he'll, I think he'll have to go five and one. Uh, I, I do think the Cowboys could could uh, may only lose two games in this stretch that you're talking about. Um, I, I, I think it, it's hard to look at the at the at some of the teams out there and not think that they have a possibility to, to win, especially you would think that Castle will build on this. Uh, the, the offensive line looked a little bit better. You know, uh, you know, for all the complaints 
that we had about that game after it was over. You know, the biggest one for me is just the same old things with the Cowboys, and I wrote I wrote this last week. Uh, you know, is that how ill prepared they were for the for the things that happened to them this season, the injuries that happened. And, and you know, I, I know you can say that. Well, how can you be prepared for injuries? Well, you can be prepared by making sure that you assemble the, the correct roster. Uh, and and, you know, and I and we didn't talk about Cole Beasley's uh, wife kind of uh, going off a little bit after the game. Uh, I, I don't, as I wrote, I don't blame Cole Beasley at all for the fact that he's been a very ineffective punt returner. You know, that was not his, that was not his job. You know, they, they gave it to him. They told him to go back there and, and basically just field the ball uh, and, and don't do anything after that. Don't get yourself killed. Well, you don't blame uh, him for not catching the ball? Uh, well, I mean, I, 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 you know, it's his job, obviously, to go back there and catch the ball. There's no question about that. But the guy's not a punt returner. That's that's not what he was. That was not what he was signed on to do. He is falling on a grenade for this team. He's he's trying to make you know Jer- Jason Garrett and Jerry Jones look better because they they keep Lucky Whitehead on the roster to be a, a, a kick and punt returner, but they don't trust him field the ball in those situations so now we're going to say we're going to take this 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 little guy and make him be the punt returner and, and clearly that that has been a very bad idea and, and it's amazing to me that the cowboys have given up so much both on their kick return game and their punt return game uh with with the loss of dwayne harris it, I, I think if we went back and looked at those numbers i'm not saying you you need to pay him 17 million over five years that seems like an awful lot to give a kick and punt returner until we consider the fact that he returned kicks, he returned punts, he was a gunner on special teams, and he was a pretty good, you know, fourth receiver. Uh, so he, you, you lost a lot of things with him, and uh, if you didn't want to sign him, fine, but make sure you go out and get somebody to replace him. They did not get anyone to replace him. I, did, I don't count Lucky Whitehead. If he's not doing those things, then I don't count Well, if he's not, if he's not returning punts, then, then certainly they didn't replace him adequately I, I look it's unfortunate that Cole Beasley was in that situation and it wasn't a great attempt at catching that ball but if you want to look at the last couple minutes of that game the bigger question I've got that continues to run through my mind is you've got fourth and eight at the Giants 30 with a chance to tie this game and your choice in that situation is to throw underneath to James Hanna for six yards the second time all year that you've targeted James Hanna? Well, you know, I, at that point, I don't know. I was in the Giants locker room after the game. I was not there to ask any on – on the Cowboys side to ask any questions about what they were doing on that play. I don't know if that was – you know, if Castle had checked down and that was his right. you know, second, third option in that situation. I don't – you know, I, I just don't really know uh, how to answer that. It, it, it certainly – I got a big problem anytime. You got to throw that ball at least eight yards, so you've got to throw that ball in the air eight yards. That's what I was about to say. I've got a big problem anytime you don't throw it past the sticks. If if you're asking a tight end to get you another two or three yards after the catch, I think that's a big mistake. That was was the Brandon Whedon play that we would have. If Brandon Whedon did that, you would have kind of expected that. That was the way he played. Right. So that that's the remo- that's what we're that's what we're left with. There. I'd also like to say this, Kevin. How far does what does this say about Barry's pet, Gavin Escobar? <laughs> well, I, I I wanted to bring him up. I was, you know they've got to he, unleash him. Was he in the they, bathroom at they, that point? They have huh? got to unleash Gavin. Free, let's well, start they, free they, Gavin they, Escobar. 
They for, tried to unleash him earlier in the game, and remember he had the offsides penalty. Yes, he did. Oh, oh, let's let's not talk about tight ends in motion or tight, offside. Jason Witten must lead the league in that. Well, you know, he, and he always has, and you know, I've, been, I've always meant to ask this question: Does he just not hear that well? Uh, is, is there is there some kind of problem? Because you know, for as great as he is, and there's he's a Hall of Fame tight end, and, <laughs> and he's just a, a a great guy, great tight end, great teammate, great everything. But Lord knows, I don't think I've ever seen a tight end jump as much as he has. But if you ask him that question and he says, come again, you probably got an idea about how well he hears. That could be. Barry, what do you got? Well, I just want to say uh, Sunday when the Cowboys play Seattle, there'll be a little ceremony at halftime. Darren Woodson will be going into the Ring of Honor. And I can't think of the of a personality and a player who's the – who made as big an impact as Hardy, if not bigger, for the Cowboys, and did it without played sp- and played special teams his twelve years here. Uh, what an so impact! So he could he had. go into the special teams huddle. He could, he could. He's going into the Ring of Honor. Uh, I've got. Let me let me plug it. I have a story on on Darren Woodson and his life coming in the Dallas Morning News on Sunday, I believe. So but let you, me ask. You, so is this? Is this going to be the new ceiling now? Is it whether you are uh, a better teammate than Greg Hardy? Is that, is, that, is that what we've done now? Well, the Cowboys have told us what a great teammate he is. I just kind no, of envision I, I kind of envision the whole ceremony with Woodson going on and then kind of Hardy pulling a Kanye West and going, I'm going to let you finish, but. <laughs> yeah, that could, that could very well be. Listen, let me tell you something about. About Woody, he was he was one of my all time favorites to deal with in the locker room. It didn't matter what was going on; uh, he was always accessible, always a great guy. And it was not a deal where he was just trying to curry favor with people. He's much like Jason Witten is today, uh, an extremely class act. And I might point out, Darren is also a neighbor of mine. He lives one street south of me now. So you're telling us you make too much money. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm telling you, I bought our, our as, I, as I pointed out to my wife, uh, we bought our empty nester's house 22 years ago. Uh, and it is, uh, when we bought it, it was like when you could just get in. Uh, for, for oh, I, I, Kevin, Kevin would also like to announce that you can buy that house <laughs> now through Kevin's <laughs> wife, Debbie. The, the real t- realtor to the stars. Realtor to the stars. So, But I think it's time for us to say goodbye. Wait, we have to have a prediction. Oh, okay. A prediction on? The Cowboys and the Seahawks. Uh, one team will win. I'm going to take the Seahawks by two touchdowns. Kevin? Two touchdowns. Two I'm going to say, touchdowns. Wow, that's a lot. I'm going to say uh, Seahawks 24-17. That's one touchdown. I'll go right in between the two of you guys and take 27-17 Seahawks. Say goodbye, Evan. I don't think it's in the middle. I said right between the two of you guys. No, he. No, you had a 10-point. Kevin had it at seven points. I had it four, yep. at seven yeah. and fourteen. Ten's kind of in the middle. This is why we're all sports writers. We can't do math. Uh, Ten is right in between the two of those two. Good night, Evan. <laughs> Goodbye, Kevin. Goodbye, Barry. Kevin, enjoy New York City. Thanks, guys.